There's a lot to say about the deliciousness of steaks, burgers, and kebabs, and the wonders of a summer cookout. But we figure, why go through all the trouble when beef can speak for itself? Just listen. Translation, beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Welcome to another season of Out of Left Field. I'm Bart Gregory in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starkville. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. And Charlie, man, it's hard to believe. What was our two-year anniversary? Was it last week, week before last? It's hard to believe we started this show two years ago. Seems like it's been longer than that. Yeah, it certainly does. But, man, it also seems like we've been waiting a long time for baseball season to get here. You would have thought that kind of playing so deep as we did that baseball would be back on us in a hurry. But, it's kind of been dragging here lately. I, this countdown's taken a little bit longer than I've wanted it to. Well, it sure has. And, you know, we've been talking about defending the national championship for a long time now. And one of the guests we're going to talk to today is a guy that won back-to-back national championships, and that's Pat Casey at Oregon State. He retired in 2018, stepped away after winning his third national championship. And, Charlie, that's one of the things I want to ask Pat Casey is – coming back and winning a second national championship, going through the fall, going through the winter, and now all of a sudden you get to play that second season. I kind of wonder what he would tell Chris Lamonis coming into this year. Well, and I'd be interested, too, to know how hard it is to get your guys focused on it being a brand-new year. Everywhere you go, somebody's patting you on the back. Everywhere you go, somebody's congratulating you on what you did a year ago. But sooner or later, you've got to turn the page. And I know that's got to be one of the big challenges that Chris Lamonis is dealing with right now. And we'll also talk to Matthew Maniscalco, who played shortstop at Mississippi State from 2000 to 2003. And some interesting topics with Matthew would be Lane Forsyth starting at shortstop last year as a freshman and what kind of pressures that he had to endure as a freshman and then how that can propel him into his sophomore season. Yeah, because Matthew Maniscalco, one of two guys, really, Brad Hildreth, the other, who I can think of in the past 30 years that were four-year starters at that position. Guys that didn't get moved around, they went out there every day at shortstop, and that's what they were. We've seen some guys basically come in and start as freshmen, but maybe they were at second a little while, move over to third a little while, play some short. But those two guys owned that position for four years. Forsyth may be one of those guys. He could very well be one of those guys, and he certainly – has the background of having to come in and look play in some very big games early in his career. We talked about being in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Tremendous customer service. If you have any questions about uh, car insurance, or whether it be casualty, life, anything you need in the, in the industry of insurance, give our good friends at Farm Bureau a call. Charlie, you you mentioned Lane Forsyth. We talked about Lane for a minute, and one of the things we have talked about on our show is guys coming back. We've talked about Landon Sims. We've talked about moving him into the starting role. Preston Johnson. We've talked about Luke Hancock. Even though I do want to hear your thoughts, there's kind of a debate going on right now within a few folks of whether you lead off with Luke Hancock. So be thinking about that in just a minute. But one of the things we haven't talked about is newcomers into the program. 
And talking later in the show with Pat Casey, of course, a longtime coach at Oregon State, we do have a transfer that didn't come directly from Oregon State but went to junior college and now coming to Mississippi State and Andrew Walling, a left-handed pitcher, hard thrower. One thing we haven't talked about is some of these newcomers. Thoughts early on about seeing Andrew Walling and R.J. Yeager and Jess Davis and some of these guys that are newcomers into the program. When your question there somewhat focuses on the guys who are newcomers who have been somewhere else, I'm going to be interested, too, to see who some of these freshmen are that are going to step forward, whether it's an Aaron Downs, uh, whether it's Hunter Hines. I mean, there's all these guys. Slate Alford, we've heard him talked a lot about maybe even being an elite defensive player early in his career. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out. I think for me, I'm really interested to see what you're going to get on the mound from young guys. You can have a pretty tough debate, I think. Where is it tougher to make the adjustment as a young player? Is it as a position player? Is it as a pitcher? I tend to think it's probably on the mound. I think you get out on the mound at Duty Noble, and, man, that stadium's right on top of you. And particularly on a weekend with a big crowd, a lot has to be going through your mind trying to take the mound out there. That last caveat you threw in there, out on our mound in front of that big bank of people, because, Charlie, that's one of the things I look back at. And when we had the, the ceremony after winning the national championship, and that was the first thing that I thought of sitting out on that mound that day, is how in the world does a guy that's 18 years old stand out on this mound and throw a strike? And you, we talk about at that time, and we talked about it you know, earlier on, about what effect does that have on an opposing pitcher? But you kind of wonder – what that effect has on one of your guys. Because it's one thing to throw in a fall scrimmage. It's another thing to throw in a scrimmage in the spring when there may be 100 people there. But it's a different thing when those stands are full and there are people around you. For an 18-year-old guy, for a newcomer, I think it may be more difficult to, to pitch than play in the field. And so then you ask yourself the question of, does a guy like Walling, a guy who spent basically two years at Oregon State, albeit one of those, the, the shortened season, does he have an advantage from, although certainly not having pitched in this type environment, uh, of at least pitching, you know, he's played Oklahoma State, he's played in some big games, does maybe he get kind of a little bit of advantage over some of the very talented younger players, some of the younger freshman pitchers? The one thing we know about Walling, he's got stuff. He's got a big arm. He's throwing it from the left side. Question, can you throw strikes? And I think ultimately that's going to be the real separation point, I think. I think our pitching staff is filled with guys who have enough talent that they are not terribly likely to get beat by opposing hitters. They're more likely if they get beat because of their own lack of control and things of that nature. Well, appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on this Wednesday afternoon. Mississippi State opening baseball season next weekend. Of course, as we talked about, we're going to come back and we're going to talk to the former head coach at Oregon State, Pat Casey. Won back-to-back national championships in 2006 and 2007 and then won his third in 2018. Matthew Maniscalco will join us later in the show to talk about playing shortstop for Mississippi State in the early 2000s. We're back with you here in the midweek on Out of Left Field. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.
And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Time now for our conversation with former head coach at Oregon State, Pat Casey. And this conversation brought to you by our great friends at Heartland Catfish. Back with us for another baseball season, Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish anywhere. They service great restaurants throughout the country, and one of those great restaurants right here in the state of Mississippi, and that's the Crystal Grill over in Greenwood. Man, nothing beats the Crystal Grill. And to be honest with you, that's where I'm headed this weekend. This is our last weekend that's open before baseball starts. And one of the things that Jen and the kids and I were going to do, we're going to load up and head to the Crystal Grill this weekend. They've got that great Delta farm-raised catfish, traditionally fried, lemon-peppered, blackened, broiled. And, of course, you want to save room for that coconut cream pie that has that huge meringue on top, the Crystal Grill in Greenwood. Charlie, you guys ever head over to Greenwood to eat at the Crystal Grill? Yeah, I certainly have. I've been there. It's uh, yeah, I think you mentioned it. it's kind of a nice place just to get out of town and go now and then. And so let us go to the phone where the former head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, he won three national championships. He went to the College World Series six times. Coach Pat Casey joins us. Coach, appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us. Glad to do it, man. Glad to do it. Coach, when you look back at your career, and getting Oregon State and getting that program built, and you go to the College World Series in 2005, you win it in 2006 and in 2007. The building process of getting it going in Corvallis, you know, it was year 11 before you guys went to the College World Series. Was that, was that just a building block to get to that point, or was there something that changed over those 10, 11 years to get you to that point? Well, you know, I, I think one of the things that, uh, that that a lot of people don't know, and especially people that, you know, aren't out here on the West Coast, is that the Pac-10 at the time, and now it's Pac-12, was a northern and southern division when I got here. And so for the first four years, 95 through 98, we couldn't RPI out. Uh, you know, there was only four coaches in the north, and I was the only one at that time that felt like we need to get into the south as a conference as a whole if we're ever going to do anything. And so in 98, the South gave us a little bone to say, hey, here, if you'll stay out of the league, we'll, we'll give you nine games that won't count against your, against our record. Because, you know, they had a great thing going in six-pack. You know, you got Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, Stanford, and USC and UCLA, not really excited about going to Pullman, Washington, and Corvallis, Oregon. So played us nine games. We swept Arizona. We swept UCLA. We went to USC, won one of three. And that was in 98 when uh, USC won the national championship. And Mike Gillespie, who I consider my mentor, one of the greatest coaches I've ever worked against, uh, you know, he just said, hey, Case, if you guys get into a regional, you got a shot to go to the World Series with that pitching. And so, you know, we didn't even get into a regional. And so I think that the thing that happened that changed our ability to do what we wanted to do was to actually get into the conference as a whole and therefore that we could have an RPI that allowed us to be considered for the tournament. Well, once you guys make it to the tournament, you waste no time because in 2005 you go to the World Series. You win it in 2006 with a team that won 50 games. You won your league back-to-back years. And then 2007, and as Mississippi State fans, all the buzz now is you finally broke through, you've won one, can you do it again? In football, sometimes we talk about the Super Bowl hangover. In Major League Baseball, kind of the World Series hangover. Did you guys experience any of that in 2007? And what was it like trying to get a team ready to make another run to the top? 
Well, one is yes, the answer to the first part of it. I think we did experience a little bit of a, of a letdown when you come back and the last thing you did was win a college World Series and almost that entire club was gone. And the only two remaining pieces of that club were Darwin Barney, our shortstop, and Mitch Canham, our catcher. You know, I, I think that's a little bit of difference right there with Mississippi State. I think they returned some, some, a lot of pieces. But, but I do. I do think that you sit there and you look at things. And Darwin said to me one time, I, maybe we were 10 or 12 games into it. He goes, Coach, it, it just isn't like it was last year. I said, well, of course not. The last thing you experienced was making a run through Omaha with guys that you had played two years with. And it's not going to be the same. And therefore, we we got to create our own path. We have to be our own team. No no team back-to-back years, even if you have eight or nine starters back, will be the same team. And therefore, you know, you got to enjoy winning it, and you got to use that as as some bravado. We did anyway at Oregon State because a lot of people looked at us in 05 and thought, hey, you know, good story. 52 years they haven't in the World Series. They'll probably get back in 25 years, you know. So, and we kind of had the same thing in 07. You know, we're sitting there and they go, well, 06, they, they had some returners and, you know, they fought through it and, you know, they battled. Good story. In 07, we battled ourselves for a long time. And so I do think there's some things you got to go through, just like when you go to the World Series for the first time. But I, I think Chris will handle it well. I think they got experience. I think they have veterans and you know, if you just had a fan base, right? You know, come on, man. If you just had the fans show up. So uh, I, I just think there's a lot of things going for them. I relate to Mississippi State in the way they play because that's kind of what we had to do. And uh, we're in a small community, getting guys to come to Corvallis, Oregon at that time and ask them not to go to Palo Alto or Phoenix or Tucson is was difficult. But um, the reality of it was that we're going to turn this place into a baseball mecca and you guys are going to be the people they're going to remember forever. And so it's kind of a cool experience. And, and then, then you got to go through some things. You know, I wish I could, I could write a book as to how you do things. And I wish I could read a book that would tell me how to avoid some things. But the reality of it is there's certain things you got to experience until you do that. You don't know maybe the exact route that you have to take with those players. That's the beauty of coaching. You either figure it out or you don't. You talk about those experiences and enjoying those experiences. If you had a chance to talk to Chris Lamonis and offer him advice, and I know you guys know each other. That's the great thing about the fraternity of college baseball is just about everybody knows everybody. But if if you were to sit down with Chris Lamonis right now and say, okay, Chris, here are things that, based on my experiences trying to win it back-to-back, what are you telling your team throughout the year? Well, first thing, I got great respect for Chris, and, and, and we've talked since they've won the World Series, and I love what he does there. And the, the one thing I would tell him is uh, the exact thing that I experienced probably, like I said, 10 or 12 games into that thing, or 15, and and that was you don't defend a championship. You go for another championship, you know, because I felt like we were defending that we were the national champions, and we put us on our heels a little bit. We're, we're, we're chasing another one. This is a new team. You've never experienced a championship. You have players. We had players that had experience. You know how good that is, but we got players that have never been there. So we're not defending anything. We're charging towards a championship. That's our, that's our goal. We enjoyed it. We spent all fall enjoying it, which we should have. We spent all winter enjoying it, which we should have. And you'll hang on that wall forever. 
in five years after you're gone, you'll come back and it'll be big. In 10 years, it'll be even bigger. And in 20 years, it'll be iconic. But now, now's the time to chase that other dream, man. Now's the time to climb that new mountain. You know, we, we conquered that mountain over there. And I know you can see it and you need to keep it in your vision. But this son of a gun in front of us right here now, we got to get up this one. I'm excited about watching him play. And, and I really am. I'm going to follow him. And I follow college baseball. And I'll probably get back into college baseball if the right thing happens. But I'm excited about watching them play because I, I like their players. I watched, I probably watched them play 20 games last year. You'd laugh at me. I had screens all over watching five games at one time. But they, they, they do. They remind me of the guys that we had. And, and how they go about their business. Super cool. And to that entire coaching staff, just a great compliment. Well, the bad thing about watching Mississippi State on the SEC Plus is you got to put up with bad broadcasters. And so <laughs> <laughs> I look at some teams out west, and they will kind of go long periods of time without ever coming east of the Mississippi to play. And then now and then you see programs who it, from the south who like to go west to play and, and vice versa. If you were kind of rebuilding a program now, how important is it to go play in different regions of the country? Well, with the way things are set up now, it's huge. Strength of schedule. You know, back in 06, we went to Georgia. We went to uh, Tennessee at that time. We tried to do a lot of things. The one the one issue you kind of run into a little bit, which you don't as much now, back then in, old, let's just say, 03, 04, it's pretty hard to get somebody to come and play when they didn't have to. You know, if you think of a lot of teams that don't have to leave that area because they, they got weather that they can play and there's other teams they could play, you got to be willing to say, hey, they may not return the games. We played uh, LSU out here in the regional in 2018, and I kind of snickered a little bit when Paul was saying, you know, we're, we were kind of upset that we had to go this far west. And I just said, really? I said, man, I've been a regional at, at Virginia, Florida, Vandy. <laughs> You know, I said, you, I said, you're spoiled, Paul. And he kind of laughed. I said, you know, I get it. You don't have to come out here and play. You're not forced to. You can get all the home games. Um, so I just think teams out west. Now, if you're at UCLA, that's kind of attractive. People want to go to L.A., easy airport to fly into. Same with ASU. You know, if you're in Corvallis, you're up at Oregon State, and you're saying, hey, I want somebody to come and play us. You know, you're going to have to get a fly-in, take a two-hour bus trip from the airport here. You're going to play in some of them crazy fans. Um, sometimes that's hard to do. Now, I got a lot of respect for Dave Perno. He came in and played us in 2007. And uh, we actually played up at the stadium in Portland um, three of those games. Tennessee came in and played us here. We've had Mandy in the Super Regional. We've had A&M. So, you know, I think once those teams came in here, they, they, were, they had a lot of respect for what we do when you're in a community and you guys live it too that isn't very big but has a great fan base and we don't hold anywhere near what mississippi state holds you know if you go to a game at ucla you'd be shocked there'd be 900 people there thousand people now if oregon state shows up because we got a great fan base in la you know they'll sell the place out but you know it's it's unfortunate that at usc and ucla you don't get a lot of fans and so that that makes it difficult and uh, I think that part of that is, you know, teams want to go places where, where it's exciting to play. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams like Oregon State came out to Starkville. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams on the West Coast knowing that they got to get out there and play the teams in the SEC. One for an RPI, two is for recruiting. You mentioned recruiting. I, I always wonder, and this is one of the things that we talk about so much, is how does recruiting change once you've won a national championship? 
How much did it change for you? Did it change your recruiting footprint? Did it change the caliber of players that all of a sudden may be picking up the phone or coaches saying, hey, I got this guy down in Texas you need to take a look at? How did things change recruiting-wise after you won it? Hey, all of that, everything you said happened. The footprint got bigger. Coaches calling you and say, hey, I had a kid watch you guys play last year, wants to go to Oregon State. All that changed. Now, in saying that, the one thing that I experienced again and learned was that we we needed to keep our identity, and we kind of lost that a little bit, I think, after the championship in 07. And that was the fact that I always felt that from the middle of California, Central California, the Canadian border. So for us, it would be Central California uh, up to their border, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, and Canada. If we dominate that, 90% of our players should come from that area because that's where they're from. And if we specifically recruit a guy in California, Southern California, uh, in Texas, it wouldn't be that area, but a specific guy. For example, Kevin Abel was from San Diego. We specifically zeroed in on him when we saw him on the Junior Nationals, and therefore we recruited him. And after 07, in 08, we had a phenomenal recruiting class. I mean, it was the best recruiting class that I was ever part of. I think it was third in the country. And we had a kid from Arizona, and we signed someone from Georgia, blah, blah, blah. I would say that was my biggest challenge because it wasn't who we were. And uh, we probably recruited some players because of the fact that they were high-profile guys and maybe not the guys that we were looking for. And we want the most talented individual we can, but not if it gets in the way of who we are. And um, I maybe thought we didn't spend enough time uh, researching that, yes, this guy's really good. He's a left-handed arm. He's going 92, 93. His coach says it's great. And I you know, challenged one of my assistants at the time. I said, hey, it's not about the recruiting class you know, rankings. It's about how, what actually happens once they get here. And um, we didn't have a great experience with, with that class, with some great kids, and, they, and, and many of them did well. But as a team, it didn't fit into how I think we should be and what we wanted to do. And therefore, it kind of got us off track there for about a year and a half, two years. And the challenge is even bigger now. You know, I've talked to some guys in, in the industry that said, God, with people being able to transfer at will and do whatever they want, man, the transfer portal is part of our recruiting pool. And I know Chris will do a great job of that. I'm sure he's already dealing with that, man. And, um, you know, he's probably excited as heck to get on the field. The fans probably got expectations that are, you know, what they should be, and that's unrealistic. And um, I always used to tell our fan base, if your expectations aren't unrealistic, then we probably haven't raised the bar high enough for them to be unrealistic. We know your fans, and if we expected you to be really realistic about this whole thing, you wouldn't be the fans you are. So we get it. We're supposed to win them all. We're supposed to win a national championship every year. Nobody's supposed to drop the ball, you know, and they kind of laugh about that, but it's kind of true. Coach, I tell you what, I mean, of course, we play West Coast teams all the time and have utmost respect for teams out West, but we saw a guy in 1997 and actually had him on the show last year, played at Washington, Chris Magruder, who really showed us what baseball in the Northwest was all about. Hey, last question before we let you go. Everything in baseball kind of comes in cycles. And when you won national championships in 06 and 07, and then going to the College World Series six times, and then winning it again in 18, during that time span, 
the bats were changed, the balls were changed, just about everything was changed to try to even up the game and change the game. If you were the czar of college baseball, is there anything right now about the way the game is played or the bats, the balls, is there anything that probably needs to be changed right now? Well, physically, I'm a big fan of the fact that they, they got the game closer to a wood bat so that you could actually manage the game. You know, when the bats are minus five and it was, you know, kind of a softball home run hitting contest, um, you're winning games or losing games, 12 to 10 or whatever. I didn't think it was good for the game. I think it's good for the game that you kid learns how to move runners, learns how to bunt, learns how to defend, learns how to pitch, learns how to, you know, throw strikes on both sides of the plate. That that's just me personally. I, I just I just think that that's the one thing I really like consistency. Outside of the physical part, the one thing I would change in the game is I would change the fact that someone could transfer arbitrarily without any you know, without any consequences unless there's a reason and it's agreed upon by the coach, the program, and the student athlete. I think that when you start taking away the struggles and the challenges that are to build a program and a team by letting someone transfer anytime they want. You're, you're hurting the student-athlete because I'll tell you that the struggles on the journey are what make the thing sweet. And if you try to fix the struggles on the journey, you're going to ruin the destination for these young kids. I'll just tell you that the game is such a, a great learning tool for young kids that I just, I just hope that it stays pure. Coach, we appreciate you taking your time. And, hey, we look forward to following Oregon State from afar this year. Right on, man. Right on. You guys uh, – have, have a great year. I look forward to watching you play, and uh, it'd be awesome if I could see the uh, the Bulldogs from Mississippi State and the, and the Beavers from Oregon State in the World College World Series together. And that's Coach Pat Casey, former head coach at Oregon State. Charlie, I took three things from that. One is you can't defend the national championship. You just got to go out and get another one. Two, it's, it's great for fans to have unrealistic expectations. And three, I think that guy wants to coach again. I think all three of those observations are, are spot on. And I think the one in the middle kind of interested me the most. I, I certainly understand the idea of you don't defend a championship. And I thought it was interesting, the story about guys who maybe kind of had a little bit of a letdown in year two. Like, this isn't as cool as it was last year. But the idea of fans having unrealistic expectations, I kind of like that. I do, too. I'll tell you what else I thought was cool. Because a lot of times when we crawl in that booth and broadcast a ball game, we're sitting there going, okay, we know our buddies are listening. We know that Eric Cook is watching that ball game. We know that Craig Reed is watching that ball game. But it never crosses my mind that Pat Casey is sitting on his back porch in Corvallis, Oregon, watching us broadcast Mississippi State baseball. Yeah, thinking, who are these two morons, right? Exactly. At least he was nice enough not to say it. Exactly, no <laughs> doubt. And that conversation brought to you once again by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the greatest catfish known to man, right in the heart of the Mississippi Delta. And once again, go by and check out that great Heartland Catfish. They serve it at the Crystal Grill in Greenwood, Mississippi. You can't go wrong with anything they make at the Crystal Grill in Greenwood. We'll come back and we'll talk to the former shortstop at Mississippi State. He's a four-year shortstop for the Dogs from 2000 to 2003. Matthew Menescalco will join us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Great conversation with Pat Casey. And now we talk to Matthew Maniscalco, Bulldog shortstop from 2000 to 2003. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. 
country pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi, and it simply doesn't get any better. Just great sausage, different kinds, jalapeno cheddar, the original pineapple pork, so many great varieties, and they keep on moving east through Alabama, into Georgia, into South Carolina. They're just Growing leaps and bounds, what started as a small Mississippi company has gotten massive in the sausage world, and you just can't go wrong. Hey, it's baseball season. Time to fire up the grill, and anytime you fire up the grill, make sure you put a big old stick of country-pleasing sausage on the grill. So, Charlie, let's talk to Matthew Maniscalco. When I look back at Matthew Maniscalco, and he hit better as he went on in his career. But he was a guy that he was steady as they come at shortstop. Oh, I think if you poll the audience, there is still a large number of people who will tell you, if you say who is the best defensive shortstop we've ever had, he's going to be the first name out of a lot of people's mouths. And so let's go to the phone and talk to one of the former greats at Mississippi State from 2000 to 2003. He's a shortstop from Oxford, Alabama. Matthew Maniscalco joins us. Matthew, appreciate you joining us today. Man, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Hey, we talked to Jim Case last year, and we were talking about your recruitment. And he says, you know, Matthew Maniscalco had a great relationship with Tommy Raffo and ended up coming to Mississippi State. What do you remember about the recruiting process, and how did you end up coming from Oxford, Alabama, to start with Mississippi? Ooh, that was an exciting time in my life. That uh, It started out with, with, for me, you know, it happened so much later now. Uh, or, you know, it did happen a lot later back then. Now kids are having to make decisions at 14, 15, 16 years old. But for me, Alabama and Auburn kind of knew who I was going into my junior year. I was kind of shocked and excited. I, you know, I didn't know how good I was or wasn't. I just was playing and working hard. And then got invited to the East Coast Professional Showcase in Wilmington, North Carolina. And, and I knew a couple of schools that were talking to me were kind of telling me they were like, you're not going to that, are you? and you know you don't really need to go to that and I I, kind of took that as man I might need to go to that just to see what who all is out there and that's where coach coach Raffo happened to be there and he met my dad at that showcase and uh, my dad was very impressed with him and I grew up in Oxford Alabama and and I'm you know a little embarrassed to say I didn't know much about Mississippi State and so um, I just was really impressed with coach Raffo on the on the phone and talked to him week in week out and Man, it, it kind of boiled down to uh, my dad wanted – my parents wanted me to take all five of my official visits, so I did. And I took one to Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State, North Carolina, and South Alabama. And people don't really know this. I mean, I was kind of dead set on Alabama. They were coming off a couple of trips to Omaha, and they were the first ones to ever show me love. So I was totally cool with it. Man, once I got to Starkville, though, it was a whole it was a whole other ball game. I think, I think the way that Mississippi State and Starkville in general – the way that we treated baseball there is the way that here in Alabama football is treated. And it blew my mind. I mean, Coach McMahon, Coach Raffo, Coach Case, you know, those guys, they were all just, just classy, classy men that were good role models. And it still took me, I ended up narrowing it down to Alabama and Mississippi State. Man, it drove, it was, it was really tough. It took me another over a month to make my, make my decision and then finally just kind of went with my heart and I just I, a lot of prayers my parents wouldn't help me I kept saying hey which place do you guys like and they they wouldn't tell me and and man it, it finally just felt right and I have not regretted that decision and I will never regret that decision until the day I die 
you know, Bart and I get to talking sometimes, particularly on midweek broadcast, and your name comes up in a couple of ways. One, we start talking about who is the best defensive shortstop Mississippi State's ever had. And so you're always in that conversation. Last year, you started making the conversation for a different reason, and that was when you go back and you look over the past 30 years, there have only been two guys that have started four years at shortstop. You had Brad Hildreth in the late 80s, and then you mm-hmm. come along and start four years. Last year, the middle of the season, Mississippi State goes to Lane Forsyth, a guy with a really good glove. And the question is, how well can he hit? And I, I look back at your numbers, and I see a bad guy who basically got better hitting every year. And by the time you leave, you know, you're a 310 hitter. You know, what was that development process for you, kind of being, uh, kind of getting thrust in there as a freshman and, and then kind of growing throughout your time? I was lucky enough when I joined there, I, you know, I had Travis Chapman, Ty Martin, Darren Wright were three guys coming back who were all seniors playing second, short, and third. So, you know, when I looked at it, you know, on paper, when I was trying to make that decision between Alabama and Mississippi State, Alabama was going to feel was wide open. But, man, it just didn't feel right. So when I got there, I realized immediately that I had to get better if I wanted to sniff the field. I didn't come in like like a lot of college freshmen come in talking about what they did in high school and, you know, how they, they were promised this or that by the coaches during the recruitment and that. I just I realized immediately I had to get a lot better. You know, they moved Travis to third during the fall. Some, and I just tried to uh, – you know, I tried to master the craft defensively, but then offensively, I knew it was an adjustment for me. They uh, kind of had a bigger swing. I was I was a football player in high school and tried to hit some home runs and stuff. And they they really, you know, I guess they saw my speed and they wanted me hitting more balls, you know, balls on the ground. And so it kind of took me an adjustment to to figure out my identity offensively. But with that lineup, that's what I was so lucky. My freshman year, I didn't I didn't have any pressure on me. I mean, I was sitting down at the bottom of the lineup. I, you know, bunted when I was supposed to bunt. Anything I did was just an added bonus, which was a huge, huge thing for a freshman. Now, <laughs> you said I got better every year. That's not the truth. Um, I came into my sophomore year as a preseason All-American, and I was trying to hit 350 with like 10 home runs, and I decided to hit 230 with none. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was trying to take a big picture approach for you. I thought we'd yeah, we kind of look that, over that, that sophomore that, year there. We were that, trying to be nice. That, <laughs> hey, that was very kind, but I'm real, man. I talk more about my sophomore year of college than any other year because I, I learned more about myself as a player, as a man, because they, they continued to throw me out there. I didn't understand. I was like, man, I feel like I'm hurting this team because that team needed – I needed to produce more offensively. and I've never pressed like that in my life. You know, got hot for the team in the SEC tournament that year. We ended up winning, and, you know, we made a good run, got beat out by Cal State Fullerton out in 01. But, you know, after that, I literally I went to the Cape and played there, and I just made up my mind that it could never be as bad as it was that year for me individually, like offensively. And I, I promised myself then that I was just going to relax, and if, if God wanted me to continue to play baseball after – you know, my time in Starkville, awesome. If not, awesome. And uh, I just didn't want to have any regrets. So, man, starting my junior year, I just kind of stopped thinking as much. I just focused on approach and competing. And from then on, the rest of my, you know, collegiate and professional career, I mean, you, you're going to still have ups and downs, but it was never, never anything that, you know, I could always look back and say, man, I've been through this, but it was even worse 
And so it really helped me in my growth. And by the time I was a senior, I went undrafted after my junior year. And that, you know, that kind of messed with my mind a little bit. But my senior year, I came off with shoulder surgery and missed the entire fall. Uh, had done the least amount of work ever. And I, I had my best year. I hit, I don't remember exactly, somewhere around 340 with like seven home runs. And it was, a, you know, and that team, I'll take that one to my grave. I still believe that was the best team I ever played on. But we got upset by North Carolina in the regional. Talking to Matthew Maniscalco, former Bulldog shortstop. You said something just a minute ago that Charlie and I have, have talked about extensively, and that was playing football and playing multiple sports. And, you know, being around the travel ball game and seeing how baseball has kind of molded itself into an, a year-round sport now. You know, looking back, what did playing multiple sports do for you? So I don't, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm, I'm the fourth of five boys. Uh, my dad played collegiate baseball. Uh, but then he was a Division II offensive coordinator at Jacksonville State my entire childhood in football. And so um, so I got to grow up in a Division II locker room, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It was awesome. And it, you know, I have a lot of those guys that I looked up to. Um, I kind of put them up on a pedestal. They were my heroes. And so I love football. I love basketball as well. My dad kept telling me, hey, you're not going to be over six feet tall. Quit wasting your time. Uh, I didn't believe him. I thought I was going to the NBA, you know, NFL and MLB all at the same time. But uh, I finally decided to give up basketball and focus on after the ninth grade and get and focus on football and baseball. And I love, I love football. I loved it. I love the Friday nights. I love the competition. I think it, it helped mold me. I swear to you, I've, I've used this and I've told people like, you know, they're like, man, you started as a freshman. And I was like, I did. I said, I don't really know why. I think the biggest things were when I came in, number one, strength wasn't an issue. I was able to walk into the weight room and be one of the stronger guys on the team. And that's all from the football workouts in high school. And then the other part of it was I just kind of felt mentally tougher than the other guys. You know, I had never seen so many people make excuses. And that's just the baseball world in general. And, you know, all it's really easy to make excuses because it's such a tough game. And so I always just looked at it. I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't come in thinking I was going to start day one. I didn't try to figure it out. I just knew I had to get better. And uh, I truly believe that playing other sports and facing adversity, you know, just becoming a tougher athlete in general, that is a great thing. And I'm, I see the travel ball world every day. I mean, it's what we've done since 2003 over here in Alabama. And, and I swear, if we get two kids that are wanting to come play for us and we find out one of them is just a one-sport guy playing baseball and the other one plays football and baseball, we're always going to tend to be more interested in that football player just because we know that tends to be a tougher, mentally and physically tougher player. But it, it really does help. I mean, I have four kids of my own, and I, I preach just playing play as many sports as possible and, and just try to enjoy it. And, and whatever you are, it, it, you'll end up uh, – You'll end up specializing at some point in time. The sport kind of picks you over for us picking the sport. You talk about mental toughness, and I've said before, I think that's probably one of the things this last Mississippi State team had the biggest advantage of. Obviously, they've got some electric arms and big bats and things like that, but I thought it was a team that was kind of mentally tough. And you think about a Tanner Allen who played football and guys who played those multiple sports. But I'm kind of wondering, how much do you get to, to keep up with Mississippi State now? How much do you get to watch? And, you know, as a former player and a guy who, you know, helped lay the foundation for what we saw last spring, how, how special was it for you to be able to see that championship? 
Man, words can't really describe it for me. I mean, it was it was very unique, and and I agree. Those, you know, with with, with Rowdy and with Tanner, both of those guys, I I wanted Rowdy bad with our uh, with our academy here in Alabama, mainly because he wasn't playing a ton of travel ball, and I talked to his dad many times, and I knew he was a football player at Auburn High School, and I was just impressed with his toughness. I didn't know how good he was going to be. You never know that, but uh, don't know Tanner personally, but I think their their grittiness. You know, and, and leading, I mean, I think Tanner Allen, would, I mean, until the national championship, which he's going to go down, you know, obviously legendary status. But until that, I kind of felt like he was um, underrated because, man, he came in as a freshman and had to hit in the three hole. And he had to he had to sit there. And there, there's a difference of hitting in the three hole than hitting, you know, five, six or even like nine, like I did as a freshman. Like he came in and had to have that kind of weight on him and, it was very impressive. I, sh- I know he had guys above him, you know, who were good, guys behind him that were good. But man, hitting hitting in that position in the lineup is a it's a whole nother ball game. But no, I mean, I, their toughness definitely guided him. What it means to me and other older guys, as far as what they did last year, my family and I, we try to get over to Starkville at least once or twice during the season. We've been able, we've been lucky and blessed the last couple of years to be able to go to the regionals and super regionals. And um, I think I watched. I think I keep up with it more than what people assume and what they know. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gone to the last three uh, Omahas, my wife and I. And last year I brought my two older kids and my wife, and we were at the championship game. And uh, we, we came for the series, and it was uh, – man, it it was so special. I, it meant more to – I guess for me, that's what I was trying to tell everybody. Like, there were so many people. Like, what I loved about Mississippi State when I went there was that place was way bigger than any one player. So, like, I didn't go to a college that just because I was a big recruit that I was something special. That place was always bigger than me and always will be bigger than me and anybody else who's ever played there. And I loved that. I absolutely loved that. And there were so many fans that had been lifelong fans that truly earned and deserved every good team that we were ever able to put out there. And when they made that final out, I tell you what, when, when Clark hit that three-run homer, you know, my wife looked at me, and she's just she's just tearing up. I mean, she's got tears rolling down her face. And I looked at her and said, hey, she said, they're actually doing it. And it meant a lot to her because she was just happy for all the people that we all just thought about deserved. It made it special for us while we were in Starkville. And then, you know, after the game, just walking around and seeing some of the older fans just kind of in shock and disbelief that it actually happened. That's the most memorable thing for me. And the thing I think that meant the most for me was mainly for the fans who got to witness that and be a part of it. And all the former players, too. I mean, that, look, man, we, we got to have a blast and get to play there. But it's those fans that made that. You guys know the fans are what makes that place special. Matthew, hey, you're very much a part of it. We're proud of you and what you're doing over in Alabama. One of the all-time greats, no doubt, shortstop from Mississippi State. Appreciate you joining us. Man, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate what you guys do. And that's Matthew Maniscalco. Hey, I knew he was close to going to Alabama. Wasn't sure how close he was. Man, I'm glad he came to Mississippi State. No, absolutely. Like we said, one of those guys you still talk about, you still remember, just a great defender. And the thing that I really take from him and I think is so important as we kind of look at where we're going at that position over the next few years, that's a guy, look, he had a little bit of a step back as a sophomore, pressing too hard. But then as a junior and a senior, he was a very dependable bat. He had over 300 as a senior, there's no reason that Lane Forsyth can't do that same thing. And so 
All the guys who want to think that, man, Forsyth just isn't going to hit, let's see. Maybe he will. And a guy that's also big in the travel ball world and has been in the state of Alabama for a long time now. And if you're a parent at home listening and you've got a 12-year-old kid, he hit it again. That football mentality. And it's not just football, but a variety of sports of how they can help you. I tell you what, it really helped him. He had a football mentality every time he went out to shortstop. When I think about Tanner Allen, a guy who kind of brought that football mentality to the baseball field. And once again, that conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in Mississippi and Florence. Check them out at your local grocer. They serve it in great restaurants throughout the country. Country Pleasing. Back with a final word here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment out of left field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. This first show has flown by. Coach Pat Casey, former head coach at Oregon State joining us. Then Matthew Maniscalco, former Bulldog shortstop joining us. And once again, thanks to our great friends. Looking forward to next week opening up baseball season Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They set the game times Friday at 3 o'clock, Saturday at 2 o'clock, and then Sunday at 1 o'clock. So 3, 2, and 1 next weekend, Mississippi State and Long Beach State. That means on Thursday or Friday, I guess it'll be Friday, you and I'll get together for a Tracks Plus deep dig. Tracks Plus, four locations, three in Mississippi. You've got the OG location down in Hickory. You've got the Starkville-Columbus location between Starkville-Columbus on Highway 82, Summit, Mississippi, then in Alexandria, Louisiana. Charlie, looking forward to doing that Tracks Plus Deep Dig next week. I am too, but I like the way that you were confident in announcing those game times. I think I would emphasize that is when they are currently scheduled. Because one thing we know early in the year, weather, cold, rain, you never know. We've done a really good job here at Mississippi State over the years of dodging rain of finding the the sweet spots to get games in. And if you're looking ahead, you know that opening day is already creeping up on the 10-day forecast. Please tell me we don't have rain. Uh, 40%. 40% chance of rain, 56 degrees. Now, that'll change 100 times between now and then. But, yes, at Thursday and Friday, rain is on those days. And don't we play Missouri on Friday night in basketball? Yeah, we do. So you got a good chance to come up, come to the ballpark, Go to baseball, head over to basketball. It'll be a big basketball game that night. Mississippi State of men's basketball against Missouri. Hey, Charlie, looking back at the show, and I know we've talked about the conversations we had. I thought it was two really good conversations with Pat Casey and then Matthew Maniscalco. And that's what we do here in our midweek show. We have interviews, and we'll talk about the things going on around college baseball. We'll talk to former Bulldogs. And, Charlie, looking back at, at both of those conversations, first and foremost – Pat Casey, one of the great ambassadors of college baseball, just a fantastic person. And a fan of the game, too. That's what I liked. I tend to imagine a lot of coaches who get out of it, and the last thing they want to do is sit down and watch a baseball game. And he's talking about being on the back porch and having multiple screens going. That's a, that's, you you got to be a real baseball guy to do that. And the thing, once again, with Matthew Maniscalco, and we talked to so many former players about – this place and how much it means to him. He talked about going to Omaha and sitting there with his family and the emotions of being a former player 
watching his school win a national championship. And you start thinking about all these guys. You start thinking about the Palmeros, the Clarks, the Brantleys, and you know Mitch Morelands, the Matthew Maniscalcos. I mean, he's one of those guys you throw in that group that really built this program, and he was an outstanding shortstop and, and another great ambassador for Mississippi State. No, absolutely. And I tell you, I think I'm as excited for the former players that Mississippi State was able to win a championship as I am the current ones. No doubt. Hey, enjoyed it as always. We'll come back on Sunday, have our Sunday coffee. And once again, thanks to our great sponsors, Farm Bureau, Go With a Home Team, Heartland Catfish, produced right here in the state of Mississippi and the Mississippi Delta, Country Pleasing Sausage, Tracks Plus, and the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Left Field. <laughs>